All right. It's weird to come from the audience to up here. It is just a little bit of a weird experience. But this is what I'm here to talk to you about. I'm here to talk to you about how I torched a $100 million business that I thought was my dream. It was everything that I wanted. How I absolutely hated it. How I almost lost it all. And how today we'll do $170 bucks. And it was the single greatest decision that I ever made in my life. And I encourage every single one of you to have the courage to do the same damn thing. Burn it up. Cook it up. Because when I show you the walkthrough, you're going to realize that I am exactly like you. There is no difference. We are the same people with the same business experience. The only difference is that I took this BFS stuff, and like Dr. Kalani said, and I just studied it. I just went all in and said, this is what I've been looking for. So what you're seeing on the screen right now is a little bit of my story. I believe my story is your story. The picture to the left, 1996, that's actually my second office. That's a two-bedroom apartment. The first office was a really dumpy one-bedroom apartment. And uh, the picture to the left is my beautiful wife who is here. If we can get a little shout out to my beautiful wife, Rocky, right there. And our three boys, John, Jack, and the Juicer. This is, this is Rocky and I cleaning the floors. 19 years of marriage later, 22 years together. Three incredible boys. What a wild ride it's been. And uh, to tell you how completely out of my mind I was... That office was in a really bad part of town. It's in a, in a street called Harry Hines. And if my boys weren't here, I would tell you what happens on Harry Hines around midnight. It's a pretty, uh, pretty rough part of town. But that's all we could afford. And boy, I thought it was a doggone Taj Mahal. I really thought it was nice offices. Like, it didn't even dawn on me how bad it was. Until one day I came into the office on a Monday morning and someone had driven a car through the front of the office, smashed out all the windows, and the wind was blowing the papers, right? And I got the windows fixed, and you know what I did? Maybe some of you would have been like, oh my gosh, we got to get out of this part of town. You want to know what I did? Totally clueless to anything. I went to the hardware store, I bought black tape, and I taped the windows so the criminals would think I had bars on the windows. true story. It goes to show you how little I knew about anything. And there's a whole other story about where that comes from. I don't believe I had a mentor. Maybe I did. Maybe there was a teacher, but as a student, I couldn't see it. Uh, It didn't come from home. It didn't come from the football field. It didn't come from my uncle. It didn't come from a buddy's dad who said, you know, Monero, you got some talent. It just didn't exist. I mean, hell, I remember Rocky and I moved into a house and, and somebody, we were talking about countertops and somebody says, uh, well, you should put granite countertops in. I'm like, I don't even know what granite countertops are. What, what does that mean? Like, 
Does everybody in here have granite countertops now? Probably, right? Well, some people are saying, no, well, you guys need to get granite countertops, all right? Come on, we got to up our game, all right? Time for granite countertops, pal. All right, let's talk about the numbers. On this side, the left-hand side of this graph, you're looking at our funding numbers. goes up to 180 million bucks. On the bottom, you're looking at the start date. The actual start date was November of 1995, and it moves all the way to 2018. The uh, business model is very simple. We finance truckers. Bubba the trucker, driving a big rig down the highway. We want to finance that Peterbilt or that Freightliner for them. It's a very simple business model. Um, and we have a unique niche of a niche of a niche within that space. So we like to finance what we call a 557. Our ideal customer, for those of you who are writing stuff down, first takeaway of my opportunity to work with you today, is you need to understand what your ideal customer is. Who is the perfect customer for the business you've established? For us, it's what we call a 557. Five years in business, five trucks in their fleet, and a 700 credit score. Okay? We then go a little bit deeper because we really like to finance used equipment. So when you look at these numbers and that uh, graph all the way on the right-hand side, that's about 170 million bucks this year of $40,000 transactions. That's about 4,000 transactions a year. It's a lot of business. It's thousands of credit applications a month, okay? Uh, we have over 10,000 customers, and um, we are probably, you know, we're certainly the number one or number two largest independent finance company in the transportation space. And when some people look at that graph, they focus on the right-hand side. And when I look at that graph, I focus on this. All this wasted time from that beautiful woman and those three incredible kids. Stolen from me from a thing called small business. Taken. Sleepless nights. Inability to be present. Faking that we were making money. What a shame. I don't see this graph, and I don't look at success on the right-hand side. I say, how did I last so long? What happened here? Les Brown, in Dustin's presentation this morning, talks about a five-year watering of that bamboo. Listen, I'm still there 15 years later with this watering can. What a waste. I guarantee you, someone in this audience knows exactly what I was just talking about. You've been doing it too damn long. Right? I had the pain. Now where's the gain, man? Les told me five years. Well, hell, it's been eight. Or maybe it's been 18. In 2011, if you see that first inflection point, where it says decision to scale. That happened to me because of the rocker. My boys, please excuse the cuss word for a second, but she got tired of the bullshit. 
she got tired of me coming home and saying, yeah, we're doing great. She's like, really? How come the lights got shut off? Like, maybe it's a terrible economy. Don't you know that? Come on, baby. It's a great recession, right? She's like, yeah, but, you know, it seems like we're through it. Right? Things seem, seems like things are getting better. How come we're still getting our lights shut off? And because what happened is as we've ramped slightly, if you look at this graph, you're literally talking up to that point of decision to scale, you're talking about $30 million in funding for us over a period of 18 years. The real math is it took us 18 years to do $36 million, And when I decided to scale, it took us 18 months to get to 100. You can change very fast. And so... The rocker, right around that time, decision to scale, said to me one day on a Friday when I got home, she said, how'd we do today, baby? And I can remember the feel. I can feel the doorknob, the coldness, knowing that's what she was going to ask me when I walked in, and the fact that today I was going to tell her the damn truth. I was going to tell her that we were sucking eggs and that we were basically tapped out. Listen, when I say tapped out, I'm talking about taking $50 from my company bank account and racing to the bank to deposit it into my personal account to cover checks. Now, you may consider that tapped out. Some of you might think that's pretty good. I was out, okay? I told her the truth, and the rocker said to me, did you pay your employees? And I said, yes, and she lost her mind. How could you still be paying your employees when we can hardly pay ourselves? How could you do that to me and the boys, she said. And she said something that created that inversion. She said, one day, Matt, you will realize that you are so much bigger than your business. And she slammed the damn door, went into the bedroom, and I slept the night on the couch. And I decided that day, I'm going to scale this business. I'm going to fix it. And I just picked a number of $100 million. I had no idea whether that number made sense or not. I had no idea what the economics of that were going to look like. I had no idea how much profitability that was going to take. And I had no idea how difficult it was going to be to get there. It was just a phantom number. But it was a start. Because for all this other time, guess what? There was no number. It was can we survive? Can we pay the bills? Is this employee going to steal from us? Please, don't steal. I need your revenue. Please. Kicking, scratching, clawing to put a roof over her head and feed those three boys. If you guys want to take pictures of any of these slides, please do so. And if I get a little preachy, just go ahead and say amen, all right? Just say amen. So listen, none of that seemed all that bad to me, to tell you the truth. It was just the fight. It's just kind of how it had to go. I just had to do it. I just had to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. I mean, raise your hand if business feels like that for you. Come on, raise it high. It's all right. Over and over and over, I've had the pain. Now, where's the gain? Amen. The amen comes at around 100 million bucks. When... I began to say, and the rocker was sleeping next to me, and those three boys were in their rooms, and I couldn't sleep. 
and we achieved the goal of 100 million bucks. And by the way, there was plenty of money at that time. Listen, if you can survive here, <laughs> you can thrive up there, okay? I just didn't trust it. I just knew it was unsustainable. I knew that business at 100 million bucks was never going to last. And so as I began to feel better about the achievement of get, reaching the goal, I knew it wasn't going to hold. How many of you in this room who didn't raise your hand about the, all the pain and no gain might resonate with that statement? Where you're like, man, it feels pretty good, but I, there's something about it that I don't trust. I appreciate your honesty, sir. The rest of you, come on, man. Come on, man. And here's what ended up happening, because I'm going to walk you through it. I started my own journey to find a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, you're hurting yourself. You need a mentor. How do you find a mentor? Because it's not good enough to just say I need a mentor. You need to find someone who is incredibly successful in leading a life that you would like to lead. That's the first criteria. I started to pay for attention. I started to pay to go to events. I started to apply for the Inc. Magazine, fastest growing companies in America, top 500, top 5,000. Guess what? We started to win it. And when I would go to that convention, I would say to people, I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm hungry for a mentor. Who do you know? And guess what? Oh, you're in Dallas, Texas? you got to meet this guy named Rick Sapio. And then I'd go to another event in Denver. I'd say, hey, I'm in Dallas, Texas, man. I'm screaming. I'm looking for a mentor. It didn't matter to me. I'm just looking for a mentor. I'm being transparent. I'm being honest. I'm falling on the sword. And they would say, you're in Dallas, Texas? Oh, you need to meet this guy, Rick Sapio. And then I'd go to New York, and i meet this guy named Damon who says, there's only one guy in Dallas. you got to meet this guy, Rick Sapio. I'm like, who the hell is this guy, Rick Sapio? <laughs> I mean, now I've covered the country looking for a mentor, and it keeps coming back to this guy. So I call him up, and I say, hey, I'm Matt Manero. Everybody tells me we should meet. I'd like to meet with you to take you out to lunch. He's like, sure. When do you want to go? It wasn't like, ah, I'm too busy. It was like, sure. You pick the time. I said, all right, how about, like, next Tuesday? Great. What time? 11? Great. Where? How about Perry's? Great. I'll meet you at Perry's, he says. And I sat down with him, and he was unbelievably calm and halfway combative because I think, like he said in the intro, I must have literally just looked like a freaking maniac. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, stick finger in electrical outlet, hair flies up kind of thing, sweating, sweating through my shirt. By the way, I wear an undershirt now. At that time, I just sweat right through the whole shirt. <laughs> And as the story goes, he calls Damon Gersh and says, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> Who did you send me to, right? How did you put me together with this guy? And for the next two years, Rick told me I should come to business finishing school. And I was like, man, I'm Superman. I'm good. Don't you see it, man? 100 million bucks. I hit my goal. I'm good. And he would say, you're not good. I can see it. Come to my business finishing school. And two years later, that's four boot camps, I came in this room and I sat right back there where my wife is sitting right now in that exact spot. And he started to teach this stuff. And I said, I'll take it. 
I just raised my hand, gave my credit card, and whacked it for 4700 bucks, and said, I'll take it. Now, you can figure out what you want. You can say it's sapio intervention. You could say it's divine intervention. It really don't matter to me. I just remember being, for the first time in my life, totally open as the student. No more bullshit about how good the business was. Because, by the way, everybody thought the business was doing incredible here, right? How's your business doing? Oh, unbelievable. Tom Hopkins used to say, un- say unbelievable, unbelievably good, unbelievably bad, right? He didn't tell you which way to go with it, just say unbelievable. <laughs> everybody thought we were killing it. And so if we were killing it at that number, could you imagine the bravado that must have been there at $100 million? But then I had to pull it off at the office, right? How was I going to install this thing called business finishing school? And you know what I did? Nothing. I didn't tell anybody that I just went to business finishing school. And he said, delegate it to somebody else, which is true. You should delegate business finishing school to somebody else. Someone else needs to be accountable for this mission, this torch that you're about to put your organization through. But I was terrified. I I can't, nobody can know this. This is my own little secret world that I got to do. And I just started watching them and studying them. And then little by little, I'd start to launch something. I'd like drop a little something into the group. And so this is the roadmap that I took to torch the business by using business finishing school principles to take it from 100 million bucks down to 70 million, lose seven of my top guys, have four competing finance companies in Dallas, Texas, cold calling, calling into our customer base trying to steal business, four companies stealing our administrative people, four companies stealing our salespeople, four companies talking smack about us in the marketplace and me saying, I don't. I got the roadmap. I know how it's going to play out now. And this is how I did it. The first thing, by the way, um, you, you, don't, you can't fix anything until you know where you are. You can't. I mean, you can talk about it, but until you take some data, that data could be you looking in the mirror and saying, I'm fat. Right? I'm losing my hair. The rocker used to be a hairstylist. I tell her I'm getting the plugs, and she's like, don't get the plugs. They never look good. I'm like, I'm getting the plugs. <laughs> My boys just say they look for this in the grocery store. They know where dad is. <laughs> so how do you know in business where the heck you are, right? You got to take your BSI test. You took your BSI test. Where'd you score? I scored a 39. In that back corner where the rocker's sitting, I scored a 39 on it. You have to know where you are. So I would make the suggestion to you that if you took the score and you weren't exactly comfortable with your honesty on it, I would suggest you take the score again and really give yourself a good assessment. Where are you? Because Rick is right, and I've done a lot of social media stuff where I've given out that BSI index, and people come in 90s and all that sort of stuff. The only thing that Rick and I know when we get a 90 on the BSI test is someone lied. It is virtually impossible to get a 90 on it. Take the doggone test. Give the test to your team. Who's helping you make revenue? Who's helping you manage that business? Give them the doggone test. See where they score too. 
And probably divided by two, right, if you really want to know where it is. And then here's the thing that I think is most important and I really think is so easy. Just visualize today's results in the future. How much more bullshit are you going to put up with? I couldn't do it anymore. When we got to that $100 million mark and I started to drop some business finishing school stuff in there, at our morning scrum, we would have a morning scrum with all hands on deck meeting. Start every morning 9 to 9.15 and I'd start to drop business finishing school and everybody would go like this. And then you know that one cancerous employee would take everybody on the side and he'd start talking shit about it. And then when I'd walk into the lobby of the office, everybody would be quiet. You know who they're talking about, don't you? They're talking about your ass. <laughs> Sorry, boys. Not like you haven't heard it from me before. but <laughs> How much more crap are you going to put up with? Seriously. How much more pain can you deal with from your business? Guys, I've talked to a bunch of you. This ain't my first go-around. We financed 10,000 small business owners. We've talked to 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 small business owners in my office. I know the plight of small business. And in most situations, it's hell. How much longer are you going to let it go? It's a really vital question that you have to ask yourself. And I would suggest to you, if you do the exercise to visualize the future based on today's roles and you don't like it, burn it up. It's going to be okay. Cook the bitch. <laughs> Have a party, man. Bring the kindling and the lighter fluid and just squeeze some on there and just go like that. Play Guns N' Roses when you do it too. It can't get much worse, you all. It already sucks, and it's called your business and your life. Can't we agree? Somebody give me an amen on that. Yeah. Hell. I just showed you. I lived it for 15 years, guys. I'm not talking out of my rear. Let's talk about how we figure it out. Because I really am not a concept guy. I'm really a nuts and bolts. How do I put this stuff on the ground? I believe you have to figure out the state of your employees. If you want to take your cell phones out and take a picture of this, you should take this back to your organization and you should hand it out to your employees. It's so simple but so telling. On the left-hand side, what I call the triangle of trouble, your employees will feel non-accountable, non-contributing, and non-appreciated. That's a very dangerous situation. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to tell you that if your employee feels all three of those, it's impossible to fix the situation. You will not turn that situation around. I love what Rand was referencing about the business being the reflection of the leadership. And I like to say the business is the reflection of the owner. Okay? Um, and then I think in this audience, and I think in my existence, we are pretty much small business operators, okay? Let's go to the right-hand side, because you imagine, look at what happens if you just take the word non off. We have people who feel accountable. They feel contributing, and they feel appreciated. That is step number two of torching it. What is the state of your employees? How do they feel? What would happen if you took that screenshot, printed it when you got to the office on Monday, went to somebody and said, hey, I'd just like to know how you feel. Would you just circle how you feel about that? 
Let me ask you a question. What if you did it anonymously? What if you didn't ask for their name on it at all? And you just handed it out to the office and they turned it back in and now you had a pretty good gauge of where your employees are. Remember, I told you, you have to take accountability of where you are and now you have the ability to take accountability of where your employees are. I like anonymous stuff because I don't believe in the early stages of a torch. It's very easy to get total transparency because we still have a trust issue. They don't buy into what you're doing. You're a lunatic. You're a madman. You started on Monday, forgot on Tuesday what you told everybody you were doing on Monday, right? Can we get an amen on that? Come on. You have done that, yes? All right. Let's talk about what's going on in this employee-employer relationship because I believe it's changed forever and almost nobody knows it. It's a case study from LinkedIn. I love how Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, talks about his new employee-employer paradigm. For those employees, I'd like to give you some very good news. You are in the driver's seat. You win. For those employers who don't understand it, you better catch on. Because the employee base now has greater control over the employer than I believe they ever had in the past. And LinkedIn recognized it, and they've chosen to do this. LinkedIn puts out employment contracts for everyone, but here's what's fascinating about them. They're only six or 12-month employment contracts. So here's what LinkedIn says. Here's what we think we can promise you for six to 12 months. Do you think you could promise us this back? And the employee says, yeah. And LinkedIn says, great, let's try it. What do you think? Sounds good. Sign here, sign here and you get 110% effort for six to 12 months. Then you know what LinkedIn does? Hey, we'd like to talk to you about that employment contract. Did you like it? And the employee says, yeah, I liked it. Did you like it, LinkedIn? Yeah, I liked it too. Should we both try it for another six to 12? Yeah, let's do it. Great, sign here. And you're getting 110% at all times. Most of you in this audience have no employment contracts, and you're doing this. Please stay for the rest of your career. And your employee is saying, can I get out of here? Somebody give me my login for Indeed. i got to get out of this place. Okay? So I throw that out to you because when you understand that the level of requirement to communicate with this new employee-employer relationship has never been more vital, and I think LinkedIn just hits the nail on the head. By the way, employment contracts we'll talk about in a minute, expectations, and job descriptions, guess what? You notice what I'm putting in parentheses? Is everyone starting to see that in my slides? Listen, let's not forget, I went to cooking school, y'all. That's my college education. A place called Johnson & Wales University in Providence, Rhode Island. It's the only school I applied to. It's the only school I got into. My father never talked to me once about college, ever. Didn't go to me and drop me off with my stuff. My mom did. My old man... In four years that I was at that crappy school, my father never came to visit me one time. We were not talking about college. That's the only place I went. So when you see me in that apartment and you understand that 18 years, I didn't know anything about business. No one taught me anything. But I hated working for that son of a bitch, so I said, I'm going to go start my own thing. Can I get an amen on that? Who else has done that? Right? You hated working for the guy. And you said, I'll go start my own business. I'll show them how to do it. And 18 years later, you went no place. <laughs> this is where it started to get really crazy in this torch sitch. 
the creation of these things called core values. I cannot underestimate and underpush you on the importance of this. And Rick and I have had multiple conversations about this because he believes there's a version of Superman in when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. But you are the boss. It is your job to figure out what the place is supposed to look like. The amazing thing that's happened, though, is this thing called entrepreneurship is so magical today. How did entrepreneurs get so lucky to produce opportunities for people that can change their damn lives? And yet we take it so lightly by not having core values that set the expectation and the rules for people. We just sort of leave it willy-nilly. So what did it look like in my office? It looked like a guy... Short, chubby dude, started coming to work in a a, a worn-out T-shirt, shorts. In the summertime, he'd wear Crocs. I'm like, do they even make Crocs, for God's sakes? And you're buying them? And wearing them to work? And going to see a customer? You wear slides. I saw them the other day. Hey, but you know what I did to that guy? No, I need him. I need his revenue. It's okay. It's okay. I'll figure it out. It's okay. Hey, would you mind putting the CFF shirt on, I'd say to him? And you know what he'd say back? This is how my customers like to see me. Our truckers want to be, no, we, they want us to be the same as them. And I'd say, you dumb shit. You're their banker, for God's sakes. They don't want to introduce you to some guy at a lunch appointment with you in Crocs. They want you in a suit looking like a professional banker. But I tolerated it because I needed his revenue. And I didn't have clear core values. And I just wasn't set yet. We were still torching it. We were figuring it all out. You do need to figure out what are you willing to no longer tolerate. Tomorrow morning we will work on your stop doing list where I'm going to force you to ask and write down what will I no longer put up with. And that's tough, but it's really pretty easy because you all know what you're doing. You know what you're tolerating. You know what you're putting up with in that work environment. So let's keep going. You've got to figure out what matters most. Is it profit? Is it reputation? By the way, module 14. And I'd like to to hammer this point. You have the courage to do it. You are terrified. I get it. You're afraid. You know what you're afraid of? I need what I have. I can't get rid of it. I'm a squirrel hoarding my nuts. I'm telling you, burn it up. You don't need those nuts. Go get you some big ones. Amen. Here's what they look like in my office. This is six by six plexiglass. If you come into my office, you walk through the lobby. We have a little tunnel, if you will. This is on the left-hand side. I would suggest if you're open to it and you think it makes sense, snap a picture of it. Take them, steal them. This is your first round of understanding how you might create core values by stealing mine. And it's perfectly fine. Because I don't think these core values have anything to do with the equipment financing business. I just think they work for business. Okay? Okay? By the way, post-torch, 
I've had two employees come and quit citing core value number two. They are no longer happy at Commercial Fleet. And it is the most magical thing when someone quits by citing one of your core values. It's amazing. So look, I, there are no numbers to these, but I do, in full transparency, believe this is the route. I do believe company profits is the first thing that matters to us. Uh, we are a sales organization. We have guys that are um, hunters and closers. And if that mindset exists in your organization and you don't address profitability, you will have a conflict, conflict with, your, with your core values. Those people are there to make money. They're hunters, right? Um, personal happiness is my most important one. And I remind some people in the office every once in a while that it counts for me too, right? Your behavior is impacting my personal happiness, and I'm not exempt from the core values. We as a collective are part of these core values. Number three, customer loyalty and preserving our reputation. We have to do good, clean, squeaky clean business because now at the size of our organization, we feed a lot of mouths. We feed a lot of people out of my office. And I'm not just talking about the single moms who are working our operations department. I'm talking about their kids. I'm talking about our clients. We feed a lot of people, which I'm going to show you in just a sec why it really connects to our catalyzing statement. Here's our mission statement. It took us four months to come up with this during the torch. Steal it. Go for it. Just put your name in there. Don't bother me at all. CFF exists. Super important word. What the heck do you exist for? We exist to help ourselves and our clients reach their full potential. When we completed it, it stopped right there. And I said, that's not good enough. We have to go further. How do we help them? And we help them through expectations, expertise, and then that last word took us eight sessions. We, by the way, my executive committee met every Tuesday at a little coffee shop down the street from our office, 8 a.m., and we grinded these out. This is not Matt Monero's version of the company. This is our group's version of what we think the company should exist for. That last word of gratitude uh, started out with, hey, thanks for the business. Hey, we appreciate you. But you just think about that word for a second, man. When I look at you and I say, man, I'm grateful for your business. And I hold you tight and say, I need it. Keep it coming. It's different. Because your competitors almost never even say thank you. Ask yourself, when was the last time you bought something, big or small, and you got a handwritten thank you card from the person that sold it to you? Just ask yourself. Raise your hand if you can remember that. Will you look around and see what just happened? No one is even saying thanks or I appreciate you, goodness gracious, not saying gratitude. What a competitive advantage. Just write handwritten thank you cards that say I'm grateful for the business. Hell, just write I'm thankful for the business. Incredibly powerful, that word. And our catalyzing statement, which is actually trademarked now. We finance America one truck at a time. And why does that matter to us? Because when you really understand what our customers do, Justin is not a customer, but in the industry as a trucker. Truckers roll America. 80% of everything in this room and everything in your house is brought on truck. 
When truck financing, truck buying, truck purchasing is a leading economic indicator. When truck sales go down, mark my words, six months later, the economy is going to slow because you ain't buying as much toilet paper anymore. And my clients don't have to haul it. And that's a problem for us, but I get to see it early, right? So we finance America one truck at a time. I like that. So does the team. Let's keep going. Here are the non-negotiables when you torch. The most difficult thing we did when I torched the company was putting in the employment agreements. Raise your hand if you have employment agreements with your staff. Congratulations. Do you know if they'd hold up in court? Good for you. Well, there's a lot of people who didn't raise those hands, right? It was the hardest thing. This is what pushed the seven people away. They said, I will not sign that agreement. And I said, that's going to be a problem. I need that agreement by noon on Friday. And one by one, I'm not signing it, and I'm not signing it, and I'm not signing it. Let me ask you a question. If you're torching a good-sized business that's making you pretty good money, or you're torching a shitbag business that some of us have, let's be straight about it. Don't you want to know who's on your doggone team? Well, how do you know that? Because they told you? You need it in writing. You need to make sure, in order to verify the trust and who's on the team and who's off the team, you must put an employment agreement in place and force the hand on the paper. And you must be willing to deal with the consequences if they refuse to do it. And for me, it didn't matter who you were in the organization. You're going to sign that. Now, here's why it matters. I think it sets the tone. I think it shows commitment. It helped me sleep better at night, not just me, It helped a lot of other employees because you may have some very good employees who are nervous about your non-trusting employees, and they're not sleeping well either. (laughs) I love that amen. I'm not overly religious, but I love it. It helped protect your company assets, and it definitely enhances the sale ability of the organization if that ever ends up being, because you know what your purchaser asks, right? How do I know your key employees are going to stay? Does everybody get that? No one is buying you for you. They're buying the organization in a turnkey methodology that says I can trust the profitability of this organization and I can get my money back in a couple years. That's why they're buying it. They're not buying it on the way you've run it. That's non-negotiable for the employment agreement. Oh. Let's go through this. For me, this is the most important piece, the relentlessness to the torch, because your people are going to test you. You've already blown it. You came from this. You guys are all going to do it too. Monday, you're going to go to the office and say, we're going to do this and this and this. And on Tuesday, like I said earlier, you will have forgotten. And your people know that's what's going to happen. So they ain't going to hear you on Monday. It will go in one ear and out the other. You must be relentless. You, as the executive management team, I know I may be coming across as if I'm talking to you as an individual owner, but if you are in executive management or in a leadership role within the organization, this could apply to you. My friend R.J. Grimshaw, who's in the audience, is becoming a leading expert on this combination, this thought process of entrepreneur and intrapreneur. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that terminology. You might want to get with RJ on it. RJ is the CEO of an equipment financing company like ours that's owned by a publicly traded bank. 
and he is becoming an expert on this combination of why entrepreneurship isn't that great and maybe intrapreneurship is, being an entrepreneur inside of the umbrella of a strong and powerful company. Most people do not need to be in business for themselves. Let's be straight about it. Some of us should not be working for ourselves. We should be intrapreneurs using somebody else's payroll and somebody else's IT and somebody else's marketing and accounting, okay? So you are the keeper of the culture. No side deals. We talked about that earlier. I can't remember exactly who. I know that Rick brought up, hey, I'm going to hire my sister-in-law to come and work for me. There are absolutely no side deals if you're being relentless to the torch. No side deals. Communicate, communicate, communicate. How do you communicate best? You must put personality tests in place to your people. Please raise your hand if you do personality testing with your folks. The rest of you need to go buy it. We use a company called Predictive Index. It's about $4,000 a year for the unlimited. I'm not sure how much it is per. My guess is, say, $10, $15. Every person in your organization should take a personality test because you don't know who they are until you take their personality test. You emotionally connect with them, and you need a data point. You cannot communicate through something like a torch unless you do personality testing. The third, uh, the fourth there, lead, lead, lead. Somebody got to get out in front, get the hell out of your damn office. Go knock on doors and desks and tell people you freaking care about them and you love them and you're grateful for them. Get out in front of this thing. And the last one is this element of humility. You have to understand not everybody has the guts to be the boss. And if you're one of those buttholes that uses that against them, shame on you, man. Shame on you for violating the entrepreneurial code of missing the magic that you were blessed with. And I ain't talking out of my butt. I was that guy for a long time. I was not a good boss. So be humble about it. Recognize that not everybody wants what you want. It's good. It's fine. You, can, you don't want an organization of a lot of people like you. You want this combination. If you were to look at my office, it would be a smorgasbord of people. They come from all walks of life. We have one pedigree guy who went to Rice University, captain of his football team at Rice. He's like the most pedigreed guy we got. We got one guy who, who watched one of my YouTube videos and said, I want to come and work for you. He drove across the country, showed up on Monday morning, said, I want to get hired. I was like, okay, I'll hire you. Smorgasbord of people. On the torch, on the relentlessness, look at me. You're looking at an actual W-2 from 2015 from one of those seven people who left me. I've highlighted his, his personal income was $566,973. That's what he made in 2015. And I said, pack your shit. You're going to sign that agreement because there are no side deals or you and I are going to part ways. And he said, I won't sign it. And I said, time to go. Now, you can figure out what your own profitability is. If you have an employee in your office that's making 566 Gs, you know how much that costs you. That's my definition of relentlessness to the torch and to your core values and to your mission statement and your catalyzing statement and the magic of entrepreneurship. You have to take it seriously. And it might cost you a few bucks. Here's your first deal. In your book, page 40, I'm going to help you for the next 
three, four minutes, I'm going to help you work through this starting point of this torch. How could you possibly revisualize your business and have the courage to execute? It starts with this visualization exercise of the org chart creation. What do you want it to look like? What position within the organization do you want? Over on the left-hand side, I've already given you some examples of titles. On the right-hand side, you have a blank slate to build them out. Who's the president? Who's the office manager? Who's in charge of accounting? So what it might look like for you is you might up at the top have president. Below that, you might have COO. Next to that, you might have CFO. Next to that, you might have CMO, chief marketing officer. Underneath that, you might have support people. You might have sales managers, account executives, etc. And then once you start to lay out what you want it to look like, we're going to go back in and start putting names next to it. And some of you are going to have all your name everywhere. That's not so good, but I know what happens. Guess what? You're like, man, I don't need to go through this exercise. I already know. But I got no money. I can't hire anybody. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. Can I get an amen on that? What a shame, y'all. Listen, don't be accepting of that BS. Why don't you get tough on yourself? Pull yourself up by your bootstrap and say, I ain't going to be like this anymore. I'm done. I'm sick and tired of not having money and having to do all this myself. It's not what it was supposed to be. Guess what? I don't like the future to look like the present. Remember I told you, I visualized the future and said, I cannot do the next 20 like I did the last 20. It is impossible. I will die. It will kill me. I will lose my marriage and my children if I don't change. So we just joked about that a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's me. And I'm challenging you and saying, why is that you? It doesn't have to be you. Your job in life is to be better than that. Because when I look back on that squiggle, you know what this was? You know what this was right here? Let's be straight about it. You know what this was? This was average. This was me leaving the office a little early to go coach the boys. I don't regret any of those. But the reality was it was complacency. It was just me buying into somebody else's BS that said, hey, the company's growing at 5% a year. You know, last year you made 72,000, and this year you made 76, and your accountant says, good job. Dude, it didn't do anything to help me. This is the nightmare that so many of us live in, and when you overlay a term that I call false positive, where you actually convince yourself that you're doing well, Please hear me. If you make 50 G's and your boss gave you a 10% raise and now you make 55, you didn't do anything. Your life didn't change. It's 55 G's. You can't do much on that kind of money. I know I get incredibly passionate about the money piece. For that, I apologize, but I'm trying to sell $20 books after this, okay? So. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Guys, take this one with you if you want. And work on this. This is vital because unfortunately for most of us, our name is the one on this org chart. 
Um, quick takeaway on that, doesn't have to be like that. Just quick couple takeaways, literally. If you don't have a chief marketing officer, there's a thing called Fiverr. Anybody ever heard of Fiverr? You can get any, you can get any flyer you, made, you want for five bucks. You get a PowerPoint done for five bucks. Hell, you can get a guy to create a video for you for probably 10 bucks. It's resourcefulness when you're broke. How am I going to get it done anyway? It starts through the visualization. Let's go next because i got nine minutes left. We talk about this module three in business finishing school, the importance of rhythms. This is actually in your book, but you can take a screenshot of it. This is the actual rhythm planner exists in my company. If I have a meeting with anyone except for Sarah, because she's our senior project manager and we meet more than once a week, if you come to a meeting in my office, if you're my accountant or my bookkeeper, my controller, whatever, my operations manager, you bring me this. Because if you don't have this rhythm laid out, they're going to talk about whatever the hell they want. And I don't want to talk about whatever the hell you want. Right? I just don't want that. So what do I want for my people? I want you to give me a quote of the week. It tells me where your head's at. What are you thinking about? Then I want to know what your pick and your poke is. We do this in my family, too, after vacations. I say to the boys, what's your pick, what's your poke? Your pick is what went well, and your poke is what didn't go well. So I want to know. Tell me what went best for you last week, and tell me what went worst for you last week. I want to know your objectives. I want your... Better? I want your four crystal clear objectives. Now, call me a freakazoid. Call me somebody unreasonable. I'm not exactly sure. But if we're going to connect this whole thing together, there has to be hashtag like-mindedness. And so I want to know who are you reading, who are you listening to, and who are you watching. You don't have to do all three. I just want to know one or two. Because if you tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I'm listening to sports talk radio on my way to the office, I'm like, mm -mm may not be the most aligned to hit your objectives, okay? And then the last thing that I want to know from my employees after each rhythm is what do you need from me? How can I help you? They're going to tell you the most amazing things, right? I, I need paper clips. Okay, let's get you some paper clips. Right? Thanks for going easy on me on that one, I say, right? Or sometimes they'll say, I need you to get your ass out of my way. You're in my face. You're going backwards. You're becoming Superman again. I thought we had shed you of that, and here you are in my way. Get out of my way, boss. But if you don't ask that question, you don't know either of those answers. And by the way, you're going to have some people in your office who are mad at you because they don't have paper clips. Does everybody understand that? Most of us are going to go buy paper clips and be like, problem fixed. And some people are going to be like, can you believe it? Four staples orders, and he still doesn't have my damn paper clips. They have the right to do that. They do. I'm dead serious. We joke about it because we're supermen or superwomen, but when you start to get this thing right, you want your employees to hold the organization responsible for things that help them be more efficient. Take this with you guys. I promise you, if you start to install rhythms in your organization, 
this is the roadmap that I suggest you start with. You can tweak it, do whatever you want to it, but if you think your rhythms are just going to be these standard rhythms where everybody just shows up and throws up all over each other for 15 minutes, they're horrible. Let me tell you what else this does. Uh, by the way, uh, raise your hand if you have an open-door policy in your office. Shame on you. Who told you that was a good idea? That's the worst freaking idea on the planet. You do not want an open-door policy. You want an open door, but you don't want an open-door policy. Allow me to elaborate. Hey, boss, you got a minute? Of course I do. Come on in. Hey, I want to talk to you about this thing that's on my mind. Fantastic. Will you do me a favor, though, and just save it for our rhythm? Just make sure we talk about it in our rhythm. Hey, no problem, boss. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate you listening to me. You betcha. Thanks for coming and talking to me. 90% of the time, your employees will not bring it up to you in the rhythm. They will have completely forgotten about it. But 90% of the time, you with your open door bullshit policies, you know what you do? You got derailed for the entire day. You got caught in drama. You got caught in minutia. You got caught in the current of the urgent. And it wrecked everything. Why? Because you don't have rhythms. I didn't say close the door. I just said adjust your open door policy. And don't be a jerk about it. Okay? I'm down to four minutes. Insert price chart image from site. That's awesome. I guess that didn't get done, right? That's class. Amen. Amen. Somebody's going to ask for a discount, I bet. Look, you have to make the decision of how much more pain you're going to endure. I did it for 15 years. Let the great Les Brown brought to us this morning by Dustin, he, he talks about it in five-year increments. I did it 300 years times more than Les Brown references. I told you how much time that took away from my marriage. It hurt my children. Why, when you have the chance to fix it, why wouldn't you? Oh, let me guess. Money. It's 229 bucks a month. It's $4,788. That $4,788 and my commitment to my time to learn it and be a student has made me millions of dollars in the last few years. It's the simple, greatest investment you can make. And that's my sales pitch to you on BFS. Why on earth, for money, would you trade for the pain that your business produces? If you want it, just go to the back of the book, fill it out, rip it out, give it to Morgan or Angie or Cammie. Let me know how you did. Shoot me an email. Tell me about it. Because when... Kathy was talking about her why. I found mine.
My why has nothing to do with that arrow going up. It is totally out of my hands now. It's in Sarah's hands. It's in Taylor's hands. It's in Tim's hands. It's even in Sean, our rogue sales guy, toughest guy to manage. It's even in his hands. I did my job, man. I paid my dues. And when I turned it over to other people to say, here's what I think it should look like. Here's what we agreed it should look like. Here are the expectations. Here's a mission statement. The place took off when I got the hell out of the way. And then I realized I want to help 25 million small businesses in America fix this problem. This problem that I dealt with for 15 years, this problem that you're dealing with every single day for way too long, I want to be one of the guys that helps you with it. Rick does too. BFS is going to be this platform that we attack this problem, this nightmare called small business. The future is going to be incredible. So I challenge you, be part of the group. Come on, tell your friends about it. Hell, why wouldn't you tell your friends about it? Why wouldn't you bring somebody to this event? Bust out the credit card, buy BFS, stop the pain. Let's get through this. Let's torch it. Thank you, everybody. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.